From Wondery, this is Safe for Work. Job stress, life relief. I'm Liz Dolan. And I'm Matt Ritter. And on today's show, we're live at the LA Times Festival of Books. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us. We've got a great show lined up today. And since we're a workplace advice show, we thought we'd focus on advice as a topic. What it means to give great advice, because we would be happy to learn that, and how to tell good advice from the not so good stuff. We're going to be talking with Steve Allman, one of the co-hosts of a really great advice podcast called Dear Sugars, about how he approaches his job of telling people how to live their lives. And later in the show, we will be joined by author, comedian, Sarah Benincasa, who is seated here in the audience, who, who, whose latest book, Real Artists Have Day Jobs, is chock full of great advice uh, for people looking to break into the creative industries. And we also have a special guest who's going to give me her tips on how to work well with my co-host here. Guess who that's going to be? Yes. Big surprise. But first, <laughs> Liz, I want to ask you, what is the worst piece of work advice you ever got? Well, there are so many bad work advice cliches that I would like to just you know, cancel, right? The first is, follow your heart. No, sometimes my heart tells me to lay on my couch with my dog and watch the season finale to scandal. Uh, that is really what my heart tells me to do, but that is not a job. My heart tells me to do the same thing. I know, I know. Another thing people say that is really bad advice is do what you want and the money will follow. Again, using the previous example of laying on your couch watching the finale of Scandal, you're not going to get paid to do that. No, I, I, I quit my job because I was following my dreams, but they don't tell you that your dreams come with an air mattress. <laughs> <laughs> and another bad advice cliche, which maybe you fell prey to, Matt, is go to law school. Because it's, <laughs> law school is a good all-purpose credential that you can fall back on. And I just want to say to everyone listening, at the point where you're falling back on anything, your career is not going in the right direction. I fell back into $180,000 into debt. That's <laughs> what I fell back into. I, I got a couple of bad uh, pieces of advice. I guess this was more like I thought it was a mandate. I was working at, uh, as a corporate lawyer. I got this one, which was, oh, um, you could just put your phone on vibrate at night. And so I actually have PTSD because five years of having my phone vibrate all throughout <laughs> the night from law partners who thought I was on call like an emergency room doctor. That's, that's yeah. the life of the young associate. Yeah, that's the life of the young associate. Yeah, that was a pretty bad one. I think the absolute worst piece of advice I got like in real life is uh, when someone said, do good work and you will get noticed. Okay, that is absolutely 100% not true. That's not true? No. <laughs> Are you still waiting for that? Yeah, nah, no, that's not the way it really good. works out there. No, the do good work part, I heartily endorse do good work. But you're not going to get noticed sitting in your cubicle, just sort of filing away, doing your thing. It's important to let people know what you do. Uh, it's, whether it's your boss or your colleagues or you're trying to build a reputation for yourself out in a particular industry, you know, you should do good work and then you should let people know about the good work you're doing. Now, don't go crazy with that. Don't be in self-promotional mode all the time. But nobody's just going to be wandering by and notice that, gee, she's great or he's great. You have to really put as much effort into that as you do to your work in the first place. What if the experience of driving a luxury vehicle wasn't limited to just inside your car, but extended out into the world around you? Introducing the well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC, 
with a suite of social tech capability that connects the world inside to the world outside. With Amazon Alexa, enabled with Sync3 AppLink, you have access to all the skills and services you get on your Echo. Alexa's activated by the sound of your voice. Hey Alexa, what's the weather like tomorrow? Currently, it's 46 And responds using your car's speakers. With the Waze integration that appears right on the nav screen, you'll transform traffic jam streets into clear roads. Got a load of friends? Keep them connected with a 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot that allows up to 10 devices to connect at once with Lincoln Connect. With the 2019 Lincoln MKC, life gets a little easier from the moment you leave home to the moment you return. Hey Alexa, open my garage door. Okay. Available via iPhone with Sync 3 with software version 3.0. Commands may vary by phone and AppLink software. Don't drive while distracted. Use voice-operated systems when possible. Don't use handheld devices while driving. iPhone is a trademark of Apple Inc. registered in the U.S. and other countries. The 2019 Lincoln MKC. Learn more at lincoln.com slash Wondery. That's lincoln.com slash W-O-N-D-E-R-Y. So Matt, since we're relatively new to hosting this show together, I thought it would be wise to bring out someone who could give us, mainly you, first-hand advice about what it's like to work uh, with me. I would really appreciate that. <laughs> okay, so joining us now is my sister, Leon Dolan. She's written two best-selling novels, which you can buy here at the LA Times Festival of Books. She's a regular columnist for Pasadena Magazine, and she's a co-host, co-creator, and really the, you know, the executive producer, I'll, I'll say it, uh, on the other podcast that I do. Begrudgingly. So <laughs> Begrudgingly. Uh, so that's our other podcast called Satellite Sisters which we host with our sister, Julie. So, Liam, thanks for joining us on Safe for Work. It's really fun Thank to you. be here. This is amazing. Yeah, so like... this is who you've been two-timing yeah, us with. Yeah, that's right. I know, this is Good. the mistress right yeah. over here. So, Liam, you obviously, uh, as her sister, know Liz very well, but you've also been working with her for years. Yes. Please help me. Okay. What is your first tip? Please help me? That's the way you say this? No, no, no. I I'm having an amazing experience, but... I'm so oh, Matt, you don't have to. I know what you're going. I'm so, intimid I'm so intimidated by okay. her power. Well, and I wisdom. can't really help you with that. But but what, okay, what is your first tip with working with the amazing wisdom? Okay, so number one, you're going to want to monitor the coffee consumption. Okay, <laughs> now you know Liz is a fast talker, right? Yes. Yeah. And the brain is fast. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It's cogent, but it's fast. Okay, yeah. and you'll see that as she gets to her third or fourth cup of coffee during recording, the talking gets faster. Matt, have you <laughs> noticed that? I've noticed. Sometimes she's talking so fast she doesn't even literally doesn't even finish one sentence before she starts <laughs> the next sentence. Again, brain is working. Brain is working. <laughs> Sentences are not completed. And I've noticed that the coffee at one is very strong. So I just suggest putting in some decaffeinated coffee at like sneak 10 a.m. Sneak it in. Okay. Sneak it in, okay? I like to just minimize the fast talking. So tip one is sneak in the decaf. Yeah. Got it. Okay, tip two. Liz is the human LinkedIn. All right? Yeah. The algorithm, it's all in her head, Matt. It's in her head. My God, she remembers the name of every person she's ever had a meeting with her entire career. <laughs> Not only that, she remembers their current job, the last two jobs she had, and where they went to college. Have you, have you noticed yes. that? Or she's worked with them, she met them in the red carpet room, or she went to college with them. You 
cannot stump her, Matt. You're going to be at home. You're going to be prepping. You're going to be reading an article from the Wall Street Journal, and you're going to go, I got her. She doesn't know this tip. She I'm going to bring it in. 1997. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. She's got it. Human, alg- human <laughs> LinkedIn. Just don't even try. Just, okay. just honor that. Okay. Honor okay. that. All right. All right. That's good. I'm coming out okay so far. Yeah, this, this okay. is all great. Okay, this tip number three, she did make one career misstep. All right. Really? Yes. I okay. did not know this. It was in 1971. Oh, okay, that's why. We haven't gotten that, that far, far back? back yet. Well, I don't know if you remember the game show Concentration. Yeah. Um, so Liz was on Kids Week Concentration. Really? It's a true story. Okay, and she got herself there. We all went to the taping in New York City. And you know Liz, she is just accumulating prizes. She she is matching things. She is She's guessing the puzzle, up. racking it up. And she gets greedy, Matt, because oh the prize was, you know, she had a golden retriever puppy on the board. Oh, my God. But she wanted the trip to Disney World on the auto train. So she didn't guess the puzzle, even though she knew it. And then the kid from New Jersey next to her got matched to steal a prize. He stole the golden retriever puppy, and he solved the puzzle. And that was it. That is brutal. <laughs> it was brutal for all of us, oh, It was brutal. That's why she just got that rescue. I know. <laughs> but she never let that happen again. Yeah. No one ever stole Liz's puppy no. again. She didn't have enough coffee no. that day. That when, she, yeah. when she knows the puzzle, Matt, she's going to tell you the puzzle. She's not waiting anymore for the big prize. She'll tell you the puzzle. This is amazing. And then, ironically, she did get, um, as a consolation prize, as they did a complete set of the Encyclopedia Britannica, which she then memorized. She memorized the entire thing just out of pure vengeance for that kid in New Jersey. So there you go. So you can't can't top her. Okay, she has a soft spot for dogs. I know this. Kids and Hamilton. Okay? So, um, you know, if she's really on a rant, Matt, during a production meeting, what you want to do is you want to distract her. Hey, how's that Hooper? How's he doing? Is he still eating the toilet paper in your house? Or have you gotten your dog off the table? You know, you can ask her that. And if things are really bad, just tell the guys in the booth to just start the soundtrack to Hamilton underneath, and it completely subdues her. It's a little bit of mind control there. She'll be putty in your hands. amazing. Putty in your hands. This is too much. I don't want you knowing all of this. This is really good. This is the number one. Okay, Number, number this five. Is number five here. This, this is, is a big it. finale. Okay. The answer to the question, who's the boss? <laughs> Is she's the boss? Okay. Uh, hello. That's it. That that is that is not a tip. Okay, but I, I we got to go deep with this. So I know she has a super intimidating resume. Blah blah. You know, youngest VP at NW Air. Blah blah. Nike, Cartier. La la la. Okay. But the, what you don't know, Matt, is the single biggest influence on Liz's life is a little someone called Angela Bauer. That's right. Mm. The fictional character that Judith Light played in the sitcom, Who's the Boss? <laughs> because that show was on in the mid-80s when Liz was an advertising executive in New York City in a crappy apartment, and she would sit on that couch. That was her favorite show. <laughs> her right. favorite Tony show. Danza, come on. Yeah. So that's right. She's had mentors like Phil Knight or worked with Oprah Winfrey, but she actually went to the University of Tony Danza for her <laughs> MBA. No mentor greater than Angela about <laughs> Everything she learned about Boston, she learned from Judith Light. So wow. it's a good mentor to you have. You know, what is the answer to the question who's the boss? She's Liz the Dolan boss. The She's boss. the boss. That's it. That's all you need to <laughs> Thank know. Thank you so much. Wow. Dolan, everybody. Five and five. Wow. I don't even have time to rebut. Thank you, Liam. <laughs> I mean, do for you bringing agree me back to that, that, I mean, that dark could... moment on that concentration yeah, stage. Yeah, you back on concentration. Is that still on the air? No. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we gotta get okay. You on a game show. Thank you so Thank much, Dolan. Thank you so much. 
See, nobody knows you better than your satellite sisters, yeah. who, in my case, are often my real sisters. So thank you. That was really amazing. So I brought out some voicemails that we got from our listeners. Are you ready to help some people out? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Here's the first one. It's from a listener named Beth. Hi, Liz and Matt. So I'm not a very shy person, but I've always found it difficult to be myself and be outgoing in the workplace. Maybe it's the intimidation factor or the super big personalities that make me feel like I should let them do the talking. I don't want it to be this way. I want to be myself and have a voice and to feel known at my workplace. I've been at my current job for over a year now, but I still feel so unknown and sometimes isolated. I'm one of the youngest people at my office, so I feel like that makes it harder to bring forth my personality with the older, more experienced people who have been there for years. I'm hoping you have some better tactics on how to overcome feeling shy at work, other than just be yourself. Ah, the old be yourself, be yourself. crappy advice. You know, sometimes even that doesn't work. No. The, um, so, so what would you say to Beth in this situation, Liz? Well, Beth, first of all, I think you need to recognize that really they say a third to half of all people are introverts, feel the way you do, that it's hard to put yourself out there, that maybe when you say, you know, I feel so unknown, that actually makes me a little bit sad because obviously you don't want to spend all day among people and feel unknown at the end of a day or a year. So I, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, what do you want to be known about you? You know, we'll figure out how to do that later, but like, what do you want your colleagues to know about you? We would never ask you to just, oh, become an extrovert. You know, I think if you haven't read Susan Cain's book, Quiet, uh, you should. I suspect you have, but you know, one of the points she makes in that book is that shyness is different than introversion. Um, you know, shyness is not wanting to talk. Introversion is more of the way you relate to groups of people and how much time you need to yourself versus being in a group. So, you know, I think you can pick your spots and put yourself out there because you do want to be known. And one of the things that she says, I think she said this in her TED Talk, which, by the way, has 20 million views on this particular subject. Um, and she writes it in her book, talk less, communicate more. And I think that's what you have to figure out. How do you want to communicate who you are without us telling you, like, just go, uh, just barge into those conversations. Just do what Matt would do. Just stand by the water cooler and engage everyone who comes by. Right? <laughs> I, I am that person. But it's funny. I, I identify with this question not so much. I'm not an introvert by any stretch of the imagination. But I was a corporate lawyer hiding my creative spirits. I was actually becoming more introverted in the workplace than I normally am as an individual. So I also relate to this idea of hiding my identity in the workplace. You know, So I think that for her situation, I think that there are small ways, again, I agree with you, small ways to express yourself. Like if you're an avid reader and you want people to know that about you, you could just display a stack of you know, your you know, monthly books that you're reading, and maybe somebody will come along and go, hey, have you read that? And you might strike up a conversation with somebody in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, here would be my tips, um, Beth. One is, 
embrace your strengths. Really think about what your strengths are. Introverts are often best at the jobs that require focus and flow, like, like research, like writing, like the synthesis of information and ideas. And if you have a job that plays to your strengths like that, that's great. If you don't have a job like that, think about that. Think about getting yourself in a work environment where the sort of being alone, working alone part of it is going to be rewarded. I think that would help you. Um, I would also say that instead of sweating through a whole meeting, and you mentioned that everyone's older than you and they've been around longer, so instead of sweating through these whole like chatty meetings where everyone's trying to get a word in edgewise, often it's good to ask a question instead of feeling like you have to have some big position you're explaining to the people that you're slightly intimidated by. I'm always impressed by people that ask really thoughtful leading questions in a meeting and that might be more your lane than you know being an expert on something or feeling like you have to put your own opinion out there. I also say Obviously, it's all about quality, not quantity, when you, if you want people to know who you really are. So focus on meaningful conversations, meaningful disclosures. Don't feel like you have to, you know, sort of talk to everyone about everything. I, you know, a lot of offices have social events. You know, some of them might be, they always say for introverts, do the kinds of events where people are doing something. I know, well, like, like you just had a scavenger hunt yesterday, yeah. Matt, right? Yeah. So I'm not saying it has to be a scavenger hunt, Beth, but, but introverts are often good. Like if everyone in a group is out doing things, it allows you to participate equally versus just a night standing in a bar, which is probably your worst nightmare. So you want to be able to communicate and get to know your work people, but in the ways where you can be your best self. I, yeah, I was going to say, I also think a lot of people internalize the office as a big unit that they have to break through or a click that they have to break through instead of going, that's a person you know, just one person talking to one person. I think if you think of it that way, it's a lot easier than going, I have to have the office get to know me. That's so much mm -hmm. more intimidating to do. And I also think you have to just say sometimes, what is the penalty here? I mean, what is the worst thing that happened if you just float out a little bit of your personality? Mm -hmm. There's not that much of a downside to it, I don't think. Yeah, I think for an introvert, you're right, put it out there. They just need a little bit more time. The research says they need a little bit more time to recharge their batteries after doing that. So you can do both things, Beth. Yeah. And um, or, good or, luck. Or, we want you to yeah. be now. Or just bring a karaoke machine to work and then you're the hero. <laughs> okay, don't do that, Beth. Do not do, not do that. <laughs> okay, Liz, all right, you're right, you're right. No, no karaoke machine. I think that covers that one. So Liz, it's been a few weeks with my Nectar mattress. How's it working for you? My back is thanking me. You look very well rested. Yeah, you I'm, do. I'm rested. I'm rested. I, I had a really flimsy mattress that outlived its expiration by yes. maybe five years. <laughs> time to get yeah, rid of that time one. time to get rid of it. So I have to say, when I started with the Nectar mattress, it's a very firm mattress. Mm -hmm. It was a big adjustment for me. It was. You know, just basically going to a paper thin now to a really nice firm mattress. An actual mattress. Yeah. And it's been a few weeks and now I am sleeping like a baby. That's so great. And the best part is I wake up and I'm not sore. I don't need like 20 minutes to stretch out before I actually start my day just because of my mattress. In fact, I feel like my mattress is helping me on that front. Well, you know, they've worked on this. There's a whole team at Nectar Sleep that did a lot of research. So that's why they say their mattress is the most breathable, cooling, body contouring mattress you'll ever sleep on. Yeah. Sounds like that's what you're feeling. It is. And all that, all the technology stuff is great. But to me, I, what I love is getting to sleep quicker. Nectar is amazing to sleep on, and Nectar sleepers actually fall asleep 
20% faster than people who sleep on other mattresses. They actually ran a study on this. That's and amazing. I have my anecdotal evidence, which says it's more like 50% for me. All right. Yeah. So Nectar gives you 365 nights to fall in love with your mattress. If you aren't 100% happy and riding into the sunset, they will pick up the mattress for free and you get a full refund. And Nectar promises a forever warranty on your mattress. Forever is a very long time, Yeah, Matt. That's, that's amazing. Good. Nectar has an incredible deal for you right now. Here's how you get it. You go to Nectarsleep.com safe. Buy now and you'll get $125 off and two free premium pillows with any mattress order and free delivery. That's a great deal. That is a great deal. That's Nectarsleep.com safe to get the best sleep you ever had for every night of the rest of your life and then some. Nectarsleep.com safe. Today, less than half of us believe we're on track to meet our financial goals. America is changing, and with it, the financial challenges we face. And that's why Prudential has partnered with wellness expert Alexandra Drain. They're traveling across the country talking to real people in a project called The State of Us. From the town with the longest lifespan to the town with the highest birth rate to the smallest town in America, the goal is to uncover challenges getting in the way of financial wellness. Because even though our challenges may seem overwhelming, Prudential believes there's a path forward for everyone. To learn more about the financial challenges facing America, visit prudential.com slash state of us. Okay, welcome back. While we were at the Festival of Books, we got the chance to speak with Steve Almond. Steve's a prolific author and essayist, and along with Cheryl Strayed, he co-hosts the New York Times podcast, Dear Sugars, which is really one of my all-time favorite podcasts. They give such thoughtful advice. So I'm glad we were able to talk with him before his event at the festival. Steve Allman, thanks for joining us on Safe for Work. Happy to be here. We're here in the corner of this little media room. It's amazing. Yeah, it's going to be some background noise. Thank you There'll for squeezing some, us in, though. You, you, listeners might be able to sense the author anxiety. Yes. It's kind of like an ambient fog that's going to be rolling <laughs> in. So, good to be here. So, I just love Dear Sugars so much, and oh, you and Cheryl you. are both so great on that. How did you get into the advice biz? Because yeah. you're a writer and a thinker and a speaker. Right, so. and not a Dear Abbeyer. Um, yes. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, probably characterologically, it comes from being, like you, probably somebody who's offers lots of advice and probably can run other people's lives far more effectively than our own. I yeah. think there's a certain character type. Um, that program is, you know, based on my having written a, a kind of funny tongue-in-cheek advice column for this obscure website, The Rumpus, yes. that I then handed off to Cheryl, it turns out very wisely, because mm -hmm. she was the real sugar, and then she wrote these beautiful columns that beautiful. became a kind of cult phenomenon. And uh, BUR, the folks at WBUR, the NPR station in Boston, wanted me to do some kind of podcast. We hadn't landed on anything, and the producer was a fan of, of Cheryl's columns and said, could you ask Cheryl? And I was like, all right, I'll ask Cheryl. Maybe she'll say yes, miraculously, for the second time, stupidly. <laughs> and she has some kind but of weakness for anxious Jewish men. She said, yes, I'll do it. <laughs> and the moment we got in the studio, it was just a feeling of like, yes, this is something we would enjoy very much doing. And if other, you know, just to be yeah. in conversation, that's what a podcast is. Right. And, 
and Cheryl's attitude towards advice giving is, is lines up with mine, which is how would you describe what your attitude is? Well, that it's people really want to tell their story. Yes. That human beings are a confessing species and a storytelling species. And more than giving people advice, like I'm sitting in the seat of judgment and wisdom and here's what you should do, that your job is to listen very carefully to what they're struggling with. Try to think about moments in your life where you had some kind of struggle that was similar so they understand that. And almost even just speak back to them and say, here's what it sounds like you're struggling with. Here's what you seem to have figured out as evidenced mm -hmm. by this eloquent, smart, thoughtful letter. And here's maybe some things that you're telling us but you don't realize you're telling us. So it's not she flipped the advice construct on its head. It's not, I'm in a position of wisdom and power and I'm omniscient and I will give you the advice. Exactly. It's much more, gosh, it's hard to be a human being and struggle with what you struggle with. And we're here to kind of be in that struggle for 20 or 30 minutes with you. Yeah. That's kind we of very it. much agree with that yeah, philosophy. Yeah, I mean, we try to do the same thing because safer work is all about people spend so much of their time and emotional energy on their job that if it's yeah. not satisfying, it can be just as debilitating as any other kind of terrible relationship, yeah. right? Yeah, well, and also work now has assumed all this extra emotion and valence because people spend so much time there and they essentially, as, as other forms of identity have broken down, people are moving around the country and so forth. There are all these, like work family becomes hugely important and yes. all the relationships you never worked out when you bolted from your family, somehow those people they the, show up in the cubicle next to you. They show up in the cubicle next to you, right. Yeah, exactly. So there's all this kind of displaced familial energy and anxiety uh, that plays out. You know, people are just replaying the same kind yeah. of uh, traumatic situations and struggles over and over again. They're telling a certain bad story about uh, themselves and what they deserve and, you know, how their relationships are going to go, and it shows up everywhere. But because Americans are kind of uniquely anxious about work, work and, and achievement. Work identity. Exactly. They mm -hmm. don't have maybe as much as other cultures a sense of having an identity and work is just one part of it. Yes, yeah. exactly. You know, a lot of what you and Cheryl get asked about, it's a version of what Matt and I get asked about, which is, should I stay or should I go? Right. And on Dear Sugars, it's often about romantic relationships, marriages, yeah. all kinds of things. Yeah. We always get asked, like, should I stay in this job? This does not feel right. That's, I feel a huge amount of responsibility when people ask us that. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea, the, the reason that this approach that we take, I think, is comforting to people is because we don't say usually, yeah, you should or you shouldn't. We say, here's the questions you should be asking about this. Yeah. Sometimes it's quite obvious, and, and letter writers, I'm sure you've experienced this, are basically waiting for somebody outside of themselves to say, yeah, your boss is harassing you. They know the You right don't answer. like it. It's a dead end. It mm -hmm. sounds like you're telling us and waiting mm -hmm. for us to say, yeah, you should leave. Mm -hmm. But there's another sort of letter where it's much more ambivalent and the person's frightened of change because everybody's always fighting that and they're sticking with something that's safe but probably constricting them in yeah. particular ways. And, you know, it's... We, we try not to say you should do this, you shouldn't do that. We try more to say it sounds like that's a hard place to be and, you know, maybe give them the sense that they are going to struggle with this for a while and then they'll figure it out. Everybody stays in the job for two years too long. I can't think of a job <laughs> I haven't stayed in too long. Really? Yeah, that, I think that's what it's people do. It's always too long? People are, are fearful of change. They don't want their lives disrupted. 
they might have issues around economic insecurity that's yes, also a big deal and their identity suddenly. So they always stick around too long. Mm -hmm. Nobody leaves the party five minutes too early. <laughs> and if they do, they're racked with guilt. Yeah. And I, I shouldn't have left. I stayed in big law five years too long. You did? Yeah. Five years. <laughs> so you could talk to anybody and they would say, if you say, you know, did you get, did you leave the job when you should have? Everybody will tell you, I stayed too long. Yeah. I needed to, it's like John Prine says, your heart gets bored with your mind and it changes you, but it takes a while. Yeah. I know you often say to people, I've heard you say to people, think of it karmically, you yeah. know, but karma plays out over such a long time. Yeah. Right. I think that's hard if you just have a toxic coworker in the cubicle next to you yeah. to think about, well, someday that's going to catch up yeah. with them. Yeah, but ultimately, so what I tend to say is like golden rule this. If you're trying to figure out whether you're the reasonable or unreasonable actor, just golden rule it. Say, yeah. would I behave this way towards this other person? But when it comes to people who are, um, they're like energy suckers. They're looking for a conflict. They want to do the dance. I say they want to do the dance with energy you. Energy suckers. All right, you got to figure out a way to not do the dance with them. And you got to figure out are the things, I, are there parts of myself unknown to me as of yet that actually want to do the dance? Did I end up in this situation mm -hmm. because there's some part of me that needs this particular form of self-punishment? Yeah. Right. You know? That's why people find themselves in the same situation over right. and over again. And sometimes they'll say, I can't understand. This keeps happening over and over again. And you're like, dude. It's you, dude. You've met the enemy. <laughs> right, right. And yeah. not in a critical way, but this is what everybody's doing. Yeah. Is trying to sort of edit themselves towards some kind of self-actualization. But there's always these steps before you've reached it or ways in which you're engineering your own drama. Um, you know, and, and sometimes you're just stuck because it's work and you don't have a choice about whether yes, to be right. there. Yes, right. You have to support yourself. You have to support yourself. You're in, on a particular team. Um, sometimes it's, and I, it's important to, like, sometimes you're just stuck with a bad situation and the only thing you can do to mitigate it is to try not to let that person get, have too much of your time and mm -hmm. energy. But if they are occupying that time and energy, there's a reason a deeper reason that they've kind of really? gotten in there. Of course. Why else, why wouldn't you just be able to say, yeah, your problem, dude. Yeah. You know, right? If there's something that right. snags. The, is the DNR, the do not respond. Uh, you can normally do, but occasionally, right. you're right, someone will. And if they're pressing those buttons, it's because those buttons were programmed in there long before they came along. So what do you do about that? How are we supposed to help that? Well, <laughs> what I do say is not everybody, like not everybody <laughs> is going to get therapy, not everybody can yeah. afford therapy, but everybody deserves it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Have you ever given any advice that afterwards you thought, mm, did not get that right, or I wish I could rethink that one? Because I, yeah. I do that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing about an advice show, especially if it's a podcast, is you're kind of you know, you're going off the top of your head. And if you have a little bit of time to think about it, sometimes you reach a second realization. And oftentimes Cheryl will play that role. I'll get her, her reaction, and I'll go, oh course god i'm yeah. glad she went first i would have gotten that Liz wrong every, <laughs> right. every podcast right thank god uh, what i would have said no good right <laughs> well or or just partial or not really getting at the deepest part of the question or what, what somebody's struggling with yeah all the time mm -hmm. i mean if you think you nailed it and stuck it every time you wouldn't be very no, good at I've it i've never thought that right have you ever thought that no, no. not <laughs> once yeah almost i think I, 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 an eight right and sometimes you feel like well i think i got to it but yeah you yeah. don't even know because the nature of advice giving this the other thing that's a bit a trick it's so tricky about it you're just getting one person's account yeah. yes you know and they're telling a story they're how do you know if yeah. they're a reliable narrator yeah. maybe yeah. the story Most being told by the pain no. in the neck you know person yeah. in the mm -hmm. next cubicle is totally yeah. different i'd love to mm -hmm. get a back-to-back -back call 
from the other side of the coin. From both sides of the cubicle. That's your next podcast. There are two sides to every cubicle. No, but I I do love what you said about, you know, a lot of the times they just want to end up with going, that's what I thought, because we get Mm -hmm. that a lot, you know? And that feels good to be like, oh, they said that's what I thought. That means, like, we give them a good listen and give them some good things to think about. Yeah, I mean, that's mainly what you're doing is trying to listen very deeply. You guys take calls. Yes, yes, so so we're talking to them. Yeah, so that's even Mm -hmm. more, you know, that's even trickier in a certain way because the story changes as you press and ask particular questions we get a letter usually with a lot of intention behind it they've been thinking about writing this letter for a long time something that the act of setting it down forces them to organize Mm -hmm. their thinking and present the problem and all the factors with somebody on the phone who knows what mood they're in where their blood sugar is at you know you have no idea what's inflecting the, the version of the story you're hearing so so has becoming a professional advice giver changed the way you think about advice or giving or getting advice? Do you take advice well? Because I'm not really that good at taking advice. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think so. Uh, I think the main thing it's clued me into is people are you know, struggling almost all the time. Right. And th- they're feeling as deeply about that as you are in, in, mm-hmm. in whatever you're struggling with. So don't say something stupid don't be dismissive don't be, don't be glib, glib. Yeah. yeah and you know so that probably has made me a little bit more humble about just listening to what people are struggling with and not just reserving judgment oftentimes mm-hmm. all I'm doing is underlining particular sentences mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. saying see this part where you say this you should probably listen to yourself mm-hmm. you know yeah humility a lot of it comes back to that okay just one last question because mm-hmm. I know you have to go mm-hmm. um you have kids. Do your kids take advice from you? Yeah, <laughs> I do have kids. Yeah, I have three kids. They're 11, 9, and 4. So the they just can't wait to hear what Dad has to say about yeah, everything. Yeah, every right? time. They're like, Dad, could you just help us resolve this conflict? <laughs> There's a Lego situation, and we know you'll have some sage advice. Oh, the Lego advice. situation. Yeah. No, the, f- yeah, I mean, the four-year-old's a maniac. She's not, she's not taking advice from anyone. She's a fierce advocate. Um, she's going to go somewhere in this world. She, yeah, hopefully not to jail. But anyway, <laughs> she's going to go somewhere. She's okay. definitely going to go somewhere. I think the older two, the central thing I would say that's been very gratifying, and it probably does have to do with doing this podcast work, is that they can tell that I will listen to them. Mm-hmm. And the main thing I think I've realized is, like, mostly your job is to listen. You know, you mm-hmm. want your kids to talk? Listen. Mm-hmm. Don't tell them. And they also can tell when I'm going into lecture mode. And they'll say, oh, great, <laughs> lecture mode. Because kids are truth serum. They yeah. just tell you, here's what you're doing. And you're yeah. like, damn, that's exactly what I was doing. So the central thing that that's told me is I have two modes. One is giving a lecture, which is about my anxiety, making sure I say the right thing mm-hmm. in order to be the good parent. That's a sort of an ego trip. And, that and I'm sure bosses do the same thing, yeah. to put it in a workplace context. Yeah, because yes. they are kind of quasi-parent yeah, mm-hmm. figures. And then... So I know that doesn't work very well, but if I can just shut up and listen to what's going on and uh, just let them talk about it and get deeper into the story, I think they're appreciative of that. It doesn't matter so much what I say. It's much more that I'm there to bear witness. Yeah, they're being heard, right? See, Volman, thank you so much. You're the best. Well, I'm the second best, (laughs) but I'm in the room with the best. (laughs) Thank you so much for stopping by. Sure. Safer Work is brought to you in part by Slack. Slack is a collaboration hub that lets you organize your team's work in easily searchable channels. So whether it's projects, interests, teams, or by office, 
all the right people are always in the loop, relevant information is always in one place, and new team members can easily get up to speed. Whether you are using real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, or searchable archives, it's all right there in Slack. That's right. No more searching through emails for that one follow-up. Nope. Or searching through multiple systems to find what you're looking for. Those days are over. A few of our team members here at Safer Work swear by Slack. They love how it works with all the apps they already use, like Jira, Salesforce, Zendesk, and my favorite, Google Drive. And with mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly, you can always pick up where you left off no matter where you are. So get your team on the same page. You can learn more at slack.com. That's S-L-A-C-K dot com. Slack, where work happens. Okay. Obviously, we are here in the flesh now, but if you want to email us with a question about your situation at work, you can reach us at safe at wondery.com. Again, our email is safe at wondery.com. Okay, now let's talk with another guest. Joining us is Sarah Benincasa. She's a screenwriter, a self-described recovering stand-up comedian, and an author. Her latest book is titled Real Artists Have Day Jobs, which is full of essays about how to live like a real adult, especially those who have chosen a slightly more offbeat path to get there. So Sarah, you're in the audience. Come on up here. Hey, this is very exciting. Thank yeah. you for having me. It's cozy. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We've known each other for a long time. I'm so excited to hear you drop all this wisdom on us. Thank you for saying thought leader. I would also yeah. like if you could say key opinion leader at some point. So okay. I, I want to jump thank in you. with a quote that actually ties in in a hilarious way. You, a quote from your book is, I've always been suspicious of those who give advice without admitting their own misdeeds or missteps. To me, the most authentic insight comes from people who acknowledge their own shortcomings and readily admit they are still working and improving themselves each and every day. I think you know that I'm very flawed, so I appreciate you. I actually you know. believe you to be a perfect being. This is the first that I've heard of any. I believe that you both are perfect beings. No, That's why I, no. I came to this podcast. We are, we is this a room of perfect people? Because I'm leaving. They're all perfect. But we, we've readily admitted, and I think that's what yeah. we enjoy about our podcast. I think the reason I play the empathy card is because I've made most mistakes, so I hear you. I hear you, sister. When you say you don't know what to do next, or this is confusing or you have some out of control work situation so yeah I think your advice givers be suspicious of the ones who think oh yeah we got this so, right yeah. yeah absolutely I think if, if anyone presents themselves as a perfect being uh, in any sphere of existence I have questions because if Serena Williams occasionally very rarely makes a mistake on the court probably you probably make some mistakes I certainly make mistakes all the time and I'm not at the top of my field by any means so yeah I always appreciate the authenticity of people who do what you guys do which is bring humor to a topic that can be really stressful which is work yeah because we, we want the audience to know hey we're also leery about giving out advice there's high stakes <laughs> these are your careers and it matters to us that you know hey we treat it seriously but we also know that we're flawed mm-hmm. as well so I, I love that your book is called Real Artists Have Day Jobs. Yeah, I feel like you relate to that. Well, I wish I had <laughs> known 
this book. I wish this book existed when I had quit my law job and thought, I have to be an artist. I can't work. I just have to sleep in a really crappy situation and just have no money. We were and, probably in a bar together at 3 a.m. at that point, and yeah. I, had, I was still doing some living, so I wasn't able to write the book yet. Right. But, but now, you, now you, you've created uh, this book and with it this idea that I really wish I had heeded this advice years ago. So explain to our audience what you really mean when you say real artists have day jobs. Well, I think that my, my general philosophy is this. If you do your art, you're an artist. You don't have to do it consistently. You don't have to do it every day, every week, every month. You don't have to be great at it. I'm not making a value judgment. I might not like your art at all. On the other hand, I might be obsessed with your art, but it's not about what I or anyone else thinks of your art. If you create art, if you do your art, you are an artist. And it's okay if you never make a dime off it. It's okay if you're a gazillionaire. I do have a, a, you know, I'll tell you something. I love famous rich people, but some of them are very precious. And I have a famous (laughs) rich friend who, when the book came out, said, real artists have day jobs. Sarah, I haven't had a day job in 10 years. Like, do you feel like I'm not a real artist? (laughs) And I was like, I'm really enjoying your Olympic-sized swimming pool that's in your house that we're at. I think you're doing great with the motion pictures. Uh, This Also, like, not everything other people do is about you, (laughs) which is a conversation we have a lot. And um, so it's it's not that you have to have a day job or that you have to struggle economically to... You know, I, the the myth of the starving artist is a dangerous thing, or the, that that there should not be a lure attached to um, that life because it's a tough one. But yeah, do your art. You're an artist. So, for those of us who don't know your background, why don't you give us a little of your background, jobs, and life? Oh, I thought you meant like, well, my mother's people are Sicilian, yeah, but, but really like yeah. Spanish, and my great grandma was Druze, but we just found oh, out. I want your twenty-three and me. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Great, dad side Irish. I use mom's maiden name. It's a whole thing. Okay, Excellent. I was born in New Jersey, and it was a journey. Uh, okay, so I wanted to be an author from when I was little. My mom was a public school librarian for kids for twenty-five years. Um, my dad uh, is a global VP now at a Fortune five hundred company and that's why I got to go to college so that was sweet I, uh, I went to school to study creative writing and uh, I wanted to be a journalist but I didn't like you know um, the work so I was like I'll just make stuff up how do I enable that uh, so I decided to be a teacher and I love teaching I still teach and coach sometimes writing uh, mostly for adults but uh, I got my undergrad at Warren Wilson College in Asheville North Carolina I got my master's degree in teaching at Teachers College at Columbia University in the city of New York uh, and uh, then when I was in I was student teaching at the Bronx High School of Science and at night I would go to night classes at Columbia and a friend of mine Caroline um, noticed that I was kind of down one night and she said I think that um, teaching isn't making you happy and I said well I love the kids I love books I'm having a good time and she was like yeah but you should do comedy instead um, yeah no it was I thought well God, you know I'm gonna have to pay off pay off this degree forever, right, which right. now I have two thousand dollars left on it at wow, age thirty-seven. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. That is great. And most we could pass the hat here in this giant <laughs> auditorium filled with people, and maybe uh, that maybe retire that for you. That would be great. Yeah, and and you know most of that degree, um, I think, has been paid for by 
books and comedy stuff, which is cool. Um, yeah. And it's helped me in a lot of ways, but no, I, I absolutely thought, what? I don't, I, I don't under, why should I do comedy? I'm just cause I make jokes in class doesn't yeah. mean I should do stand up. But she had spent a lot of time, I, uh, you know, working on stand up comedy shows and stuff. And was like, I think you would enjoy it. I think those are your people and you need to go to them. I, I want to <laughs> ask you about this book in particular, how some of the advice here uh, plays into our, our workplace podcast. I loved the section about people should elect their own executive board. For sure, absolutely. Tell, yeah. tell us what you meant by that. So I was raised um, by a man who spoke to me in sports metaphors and corporate metaphors. <laughs> just why I there feel... There are others? Yeah. <laughs> you're, on the, you're on the one-yard line. You're just going to punch it in. You're like, I'm a teacher. What? I was like, what? <laughs> it was a lot of like Doug Flutie single-tier <laughs> 1969 Jets. 68 Jets are the one in 69, but like the 68 Jets and like uh, it was a lot of like um, you know the Six Sigma at a certain point <laughs> when dad became a Six Sigma black belt it was a real nightmare for this 90s teen I was like I'm gonna die please stop talking to me about this but uh, it made an impact clearly and so um, I kind of grew up like with corporate structure being in my bones and I took this idea from my friend Baratunde Thurston who's also a comedian and speaker and TED talker and amazing human being business consultant and Baratunde he has a security council. So he has, he calls him a security council. He has a group of friends who he goes to for specific advice about specific things. For example, um, I have a friend who is really, really wonderful with organization. So if I'm feeling overwhelmed, specifically time management. So Mm -hmm. if I'm feeling overwhelmed, she always reminds me to protect my time, that it's a precious thing to not say yes to everything. She'll help me go through what I have planned for the week and say, can you eliminate that? Can you eliminate that? Can you say no to that now and then continue saying no in future to that? Why are you going to that party with people you don't really like? Maybe you don't need to talk to your ex-boyfriend about his feelings for an hour when you could take a nap or go to the gym or meditate. You know, I like so, yeah. that's under time management. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, well, codependence is a full-time job, and I'm really trying to get out of the game, trying to retire. So she's very helpful with that stuff. I have yeah. another friend, my friend Gretchen. We've been friends since we were 10, and I called her up um, earlier this year, and I was like, I don't know what to do with my kitchen floor. And she is like two kids screaming in the background. What were the choices? I don't understand. Just burn it down or clean it in some way. I don't know. And she was like, Swiffer. She just said Swiffer. She was like, Swiffer. You need a Swiffer. And I was like, I don't need a broom. She was like, brooms are over. And I was like, okay. You know, she's my house she's, cleaning. She's friend. right about that, though. Brooms yeah. are over. She's my gentle art of Swedish death cleaning friend. She's German and lives in Milwaukee. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure you guys have people in, in your life who are particularly brilliant at yeah. certain things. Mm-hmm. And, and But you wouldn't call them about other things. Right. And you're there for them for certain things, but they would not contact you for... Yeah. I love that. I love that concept, and I think it's very applicable in the workplace because a lot of people just think one person is their go-to for everything, and they kind of maybe in some ways burden them with things that not necessarily are in their wheelhouse. What you're That's why about. I never understood the idea of having a single mentor. I know it's mm-hmm. great to have a mentor at work, someone that really cares about your advancement and your development, but there are a lot of other people you're going to need and who will have great advice for you that that one person is not going to be able to provide. Oh, absolutely. And I think that it will 
perhaps extend the life of your relationship uh, and certainly increase the health of your relationship with that person if you don't look to them for every single thing. About what to do about your kitchen floor. Exactly. <laughs> They're like, that is not my thing. And also, that's also, it's also important for you to kind of know where you are willing to give advice and give assistance in and out of the workplace and not try to be everything to someone else, really according like to my therapist. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank this you is so much for having us. This is awesome. Sarah Benincasa, everybody. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. In case you missed anything from this episode, just tap the cover art to check on the notes for today's show. You'll also find our email address, safe at wondery.com. And if you want to support the show, you'll find some great offers from our sponsors. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey. It'll help us make the show better for listeners like you. This episode was hosted by me, Liz Dolan. Boss Emeritus, as we have established here. Maybe I should just go with boss. Just forget the Emeritus. I'm still the boss. You're still the boss. Still the boss. Okay, boss and satellite sister, and Matt Ritter, comedian, recovering lawyer, and executive recruiter. Our original theme song is composed by Martin Blanco. Audio engineering by Misha Stanton, produced by Cameron Kell, executive produced by Eileen King and Marsha Louie, creative and executive produced by Hernan Lopez, for Wondry, and all of the people I just named are right here in the room. On that note, we are going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for coming, for being here with us live. We really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Our first ever live. Thank you very much. Coming to stay for work. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy. But you don't have to. What if the experience of driving a luxury vehicle wasn't limited to just inside your car, but extended out into the world around you? Introducing the well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC with a suite of social tech capability that connects the world inside to the world outside. With Amazon Alexa, enabled with Sync3 AppLink, you have access to all the skills and services you get on your Echo. Alexa's activated by the sound of your voice. Hey Alexa, what's the weather like tomorrow? Currently, it's 46 And responds using your car's speakers. With Waze integration that appears right on the nav screen, you'll transform traffic jam streets into clear roads. Got a load of friends? Keep them connected with a 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot that allows up to 10 devices to connect at once with Lincoln Connect. With the 2019 Lincoln MKC, life gets a little easier from the moment you leave home to the moment you return. Hey Alexa, open my garage door. Okay. Available via iPhone with Sync 3 with software version 3.0. Commands may vary by phone and AppLink software. Don't drive while distracted. Use voice-operated systems when possible. Don't use handheld devices while driving. iPhone is a trademark of Apple Inc. registered in the U.S. and other countries. The 2019 Lincoln MKC. Learn more at lincoln.com slash wondery. That's lincoln.com slash W-O-N-D-E-R-Y.